All right, thank you for singing this morning. You guys may be seated. Children, you can go ahead and be dismissed for Children's Church. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, Paul said that we are looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We just sang about that. Oh, glorious day. What a day that will be. We're looking forward to it. It has not happened yet. Don't let anybody tell you that it has. It has not happened. It will happen because God said so, and we're looking forward to that glorious day. Now, as we look forward to that glorious day, what should we be doing in preparation for that glorious day? We should not be sitting back doing nothing, okay? That's not what God has planned for us. I can tell you, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have any special, special access to God. But I can tell you this, God does not want you sitting back on your hands doing nothing till he comes, okay? Do you agree with that? I know you're kind of reserved because that might mean you have to do something, but God does not want you to be spectator Christians, okay? He wants you to be involved in his work, his plan for your life. Now, again, I can't tell you what that plan is, but I can tell you how to find it, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Uh, and if we're going to do it God's way, we want to do it uh, the way he has intended for us. Take your copy of the scriptures, if you would, whether that's in leather print or whatever kind of print, or if it's on your phone or your tablet. doesn't really matter, but if you would, open with me to the book of 2 Timothy. We're not jumping back into 2 Peter yet. Uh, we will get there starting next week. However, I, I did think that I was going to get back into Second Peter until Wednesday this week, okay? Um, and then some things happened, and I decided, you know what? Um, I was reading some things and looking at some things, and I thought, no, you know what? That's not where we're going this week. Uh, and, and so as we thought about starting the new year, I thought, what is the best way for you and I as members of Calvary Baptist Church or those who attend Calvary Baptist Church, what's the best way for us to start 2023? So my message is entitled, On Track in 2023. Now, this is not a taste of things to come, but there are no fill-in-the-blank notes for you uh, this week. You know, it always seems to be this way. When I finish ahead of time, I always forget to put the notes in the page, okay? So you'll have to follow along a little more intently if you want to fill in the notes on the back. There's not that many, okay? So you can do it. I'm absolutely confident that you can, but don't lose track of where we are in the Word of God trying to fill in the words that I want you to fill in in those blanks. So if you need to just uh, forego that this week, that's fine with us. Um, but as we start, I want to remind you that 2022 is now in the history books, okay? How many of you thought, let's say prior to the year 2000, thought that you'd still be around in 2022? I mean, some of us wondered if anybody would be around in 20, 2022, right? Or 2000 as the year changed and all the computer glitches that they expected to happen that never happened. But anyway, we're all here. And you know why we're here? We're here because it's God's design for us to be here today, this morning. We can look at 2022 in the rearview mirror, and it's a good time to review what happened in the previous years. But I don't want you to settle there. 
I want you to look back over 2022 and see how God used you, God blessed you, God helped you survive in some cases, how God brought you through the year 2022 and has you now sitting at the, the very beginning of 2023. You can recount the highlights Uh, Don't spend too much time living in the low, disappointing times. Remember that God has a plan for your life. Uh, And as we think about that, I wanted to point out a song to you. You know me and I love songs. Um, Stephen Curtis Chapman, you may know the name, very familiar uh, Christian music singer. He's on the radio all the time. Been in the business, if you will, for many, many, many years, okay? One of his, on his first album, he wrote a song called, My Redeemer is Faithful and True. So whatever happened in 2022, I want you to think of the words to this song. I'm going to read just a few of them to you. Um, but he summarized this song this way. He was asked, uh, you know, if you only could sing one song, if you only had breath in your body to sing one more song, or if somebody said, Stephen, you can only sing one more song in your life, what song would that be? And he said, well, that's an easy answer for me. The song is, he said it this way, if I had just one, just enough breath left in my lungs, if I were told, okay, you can only sing one more song out of all the songs that you've sung, immediately I could answer that. It is a song from my very first album. It's carried me through all the years. It simply says, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Perhaps Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 provided the scriptural backdrop for that song where Moses wrote, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now Moses never intended for people to count out one generation, two generation, three generation, okay? He said for a thousand generations because nobody lives that long to count that many generations, Okay, so God is going to be faithful throughout your life and beyond. Okay, or perhaps he was thinking of Job chapter 19, verse 25, where he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and on the last he will stand again upon the earth. So whatever your 2022 looked like, whether it was good or bad or mixed, I trust you can agree with Stephen Curtis Chapman, with the psalmist, and with Job about the faithfulness of our Redeemer. Here's just a few words to that song. He said, as I look back on the road I've traveled, I see so many times that he's carried me through. And if there's one thing that I've learned in my life, my Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything he has said he will do, and every morning his mercies are new, my Redeemer is faithful and true. You know what? You have the same Redeemer. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have the same Redeemer that Job had, the same Redeemer that the psalmist had, the same Redeemer that Stephen Curtis Chapman has. You have that Redeemer, if you know Christ, excuse me, as your personal Savior. The other thing that comes to mind when we think of this time of year is that of setting goals for the new year. Um, And this morning, I want us to think along those lines. What's the best thing I can set my mind and attention on as I begin a new year? What is the best thing, the absolute best thing that I can set my mind on? As I've been reading and thinking about the new year, the Lord impressed this thought upon my heart and on my mind. Let me tell you something. I don't do this often. I've already described to you that I, I... 
I'm stepping aside from what I normally had planned for preaching today, okay? Um, and, and God laid this upon my heart, so I didn't want to just say, okay, God, you, you don't know what you're doing. I, I'm going to do my own thing. Uh, so I, I followed the, the Spirit's prompting um, and, and went ahead and began prepping for another sermon. So here we go. Would you stand with me? We're going to read together Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Uh, read it. I don't care what translation you're reading from. Just read it out. Read it loud with me if you would. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All right, let's ask God to bless our time in his word together this morning. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we thank you so much for each individual who planned and made it a point to be here this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would bless our time in your word. We ask, Father, that we would learn together uh, the importance of the word of God. Father, we thank you for those that are watching online. We pray for those who would normally be here today but can't because of illness or something else has come up. They're away or whatever. But, Lord, we, we just pray that as we all gather around your word here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, that you would encourage us through the word of God this morning, that you would challenge us, that you would impress upon our heart the next thing you want us to do according to your plan for our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So you can guess, right, from from what we read this morning, what our topic is, what it is that we need to focus on in 2023. And in fact, it should be what we focus on every day, every year, every decade until God calls us home to be with him. We should be focusing on his word. And why is it so important that we focus on his word? Well, because his word is the way he communicates with us today. Okay, God has given us his word. He has preserved his word down through the ages. I will, uh, and this will not be a shock to you because I've told you this before. This is not the, when the Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration. We're not talking about the Bible that I hold in my hand because it's, it's been mass produced. It's been reproduced. It's been translated and retranslated. Um, when it says all scripture is given by inspiration, it's talking about the original writings of the men of God that God used to communicate to his people during that time. But in his sovereignty, in his supernatural abilities, in his power, in his wisdom, he has preserved for you and I reliable copies of the Bible that we can open up every day of our lives and read and be absolutely convinced that we are reading what he wants us to know and understand. Now, I will tell you this, there are lots of translations out there that are not worth your time to read. Okay, so if you have a question about what are good translations and what are not, you can talk to me, Uh, you can call me, you can text me, you can email me, whatever. I will share with you uh, what I believe is our good translations based on the science of textual criticism and other things that we have studied down through the ages to make sure that we are holding in our hands reliable copies of what God wants you and I, his children, to know. Whether that's today or if he should tarry for another hundred or thousand years, he will still preserve for us his word so man knows what God wants from him. Okay? 
So as we look at our text this morning, I want you to be absolutely confident that we have in our hands a reliable copy of the Word of God. So as we think about that this morning, and we think about the significance of scriptures, I want you to understand the reason you and I should be focusing on scripture in 2023. What is the reason? Why should we focus on the Word of God, the Bible, the scripture, whatever term you want to give to it? Well, Here it is. As a child of God, the word of God means more to us than it does to those who don't know the Lord as their Savior. Okay? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you might say, well, Pastor, I've tried to read that and it just doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. Well, that's because you're lacking something very important in your life. And that would be the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit helps us understand the scriptures as we read them. If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in your life, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, then when you pick this up, it's like reading somebody else's mail. You know, you picked it up in the middle of the conversation, and you don't know what happened before, you don't know the individual personally, and you're trying to figure out, why did they say that? I don't understand. And they, oh, it's not written to me. That's why I don't understand it. The word of God is written to the children of God. And we need to know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior to be able to benefit from what the scriptures say. So as a child of God, the word of God means more to us than it does to those who don't know Jesus as their Savior. To the unbeliever, the Bible is just another book. Okay, They can read it, and for what it's written on the pages, to some degree, they can understand it, they can study the history of it, they can come to a, a logical conclusion, but it doesn't impact, it doesn't change their life. But to the child of God, the one who has been born again, the Bible is the word of God. As the writer of Hebrews puts it, he puts it this way, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrows and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. I was trying to put that passage together on Wednesday when I was talking to Barry and Yvonne and it just eluded me. But such an amazing passage of scripture. This is not a dead book. It is alive, and when you and I read it, it hits us where we are, and God impresses upon our heart the things that we need to know from the pages of Scripture. It is clear from what Paul wrote in our text this morning that the Bible is more than just another book. So what makes it more than just another book? Well, first of all, I want you to understand that it is inspired by God. It is inspired by God, and yes, that is meant for the original manuscripts, but in his preservation, he has kept the meaning of the text alive for us today, and we can read it and follow it and understand what he wants us to do. The word of God is inspired by God. This word inspired, it means, it means, it it has the picture of how you and I talk. Um, Dr. Katherine Anderson, she's a teaching professor in the Department of Linguistics and Languages at McMaster University. She says, she describes how we and I, you and I actually form words. She says this, speech is produced by bringing air from the lungs to the larynx, respiration, where the vocal cords may be held open to allow the air to pass through or may vibrate to make a sound. That's phonation. The airflow from the lungs is then shaped by the articulators in the mouth and nose 
art- articulation. Aren't you glad you don't have to think about all of that before you open your mouth and speak? But that word theophnustos, the Greek word for inspiration, it means that the air is moving past the vocal cords and producing a sound. So all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So who is the source for our word of God? God is the source. God is what is moving past, if you will, the vocal cords and producing for us the word of God. God's word is communicated to us. God worked in the hearts and the minds of scripture's writers, those holy men, as Peter said in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, holy men of God were born along. Um, he worked in the hearts of these men of God to produce for us his word. Uh, how many of you like to read or listen to Warren Wearsby, a great man of God from years gone by? Warren Wearsby said this about the production of scripture. God in his providence prepared the writers for the task of writing the scriptures. Each writer has his own distinctive style and vocabulary. Each book of the Bible grew out of a special set of circumstances. In his preparation of men, in his guiding of history, and his working through the Spirit, God brought about the miracle of scriptures. God brought these pages for us to learn from by his own heart using men who were dedicated to serving God. Not perfect men, okay? But men who desired to serve him. You see, because the word of God is inspired by God, it can be trusted by the child of God. A while ago, we studied what Peter said about the trustworthiness of the word of God. I referred to it already, but let me read it for you in its fullness. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Knowing this first of all. In other words, the most important thing you can know about the Bible is this. No prophecy of scripture. And that word prophecy in Second Peter chapter 1 is not the prediction of the future. It's the proclaiming of truth. Prophecy has two meanings. One is to proclaim, to to speak forth, and the other is to predict the future. In this context, the speaking forth of truth, of the word of God, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. In other words, I don't have the right to stand up here and tell you this is what I believe, I think, uh, based on my opinion and my circumstances, this is what the Bible says. I don't do that when I preach. I spent time during the week studying and preparing and trying to figure out what was said to the original readers so we can have a better understanding of what it means to us today and how we can apply it to our lives. Okay, so no prophecy is of any one, uh, one's own interpretation. Verse 21 says, For no prophecy, no portion of Scripture, was ever produced by the will of men, but, I love that word, you know that, right? But, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's another amazing picture. Just like the word inspiration is an amazing picture, that word carried along or borne along by the Holy Spirit, it has the idea of a boat going through the locks. 
Now, we live in the area known as the Erie Canal. I used to live up in Messina where the Seaway locks were. Okay, they still are, in fact. Um, but as, as you go to visit those locks or you think back to the history of the Erie Canal, when, when, the, when the ships came into the Erie Canal, you know what? They, didn't, they weren't allowed to power themselves through the canal. Just like a boat is not allowed, the, the, the captain of the ship is not allowed to maneuver and navigate his boat through the lock system. Before they get to the lock system, there's take a, 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 a locks captain, a Great Lakes captain, is taken out to those boats, and he assumes the leadership of that boat, at least the navigation of that boat, to safely get them through the locks. During the Erie Canal years, they cut the power, whatever source of power they were using, they cut that to the ship and they hooked it up to horses or donkeys or whatever that pulled those boats through the canal system. Holy men of God were used by God to bear along, or they were born along by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit guided them, directed them, empowered them, if you will, to make it through the writing of the scriptures, just like the seaway captain maneuvers the boat through the locks and the horses pulled the ships through the canals. Wasn't their own doing. It didn't happen under their own esteem, their own power. It happened under the guidance of something else. The Holy Spirit guided the writers of scripture to communicate God's heart to the reader of the time. Peter wants the child of God to know that Scripture did not come from the heart or mind of any human being, but rather it came from the very heart of God the Father. No better or truer source than God the Father as the one who gave to us his word. You know what that means? It means we can trust it and we can live by it. God's word is our great guide, our greatest guide for living life in a way that honors our Lord. The next thing we see in the text here, actually it's the first thing. We jumped to the second thing first, but that was by by design. The second thing I want to point out to you this morning is that when the word says scriptures, scripture includes the old, which is the Jewish writings, and the new, which we would call the Christian Testament. Um, It's all scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Jewish scriptures and the Christian scriptures. Uh, They're all included in this when it says all scripture is given by inspiration. We could translate that instead of translating all scripture, we could translate it and say every scripture is given by inspiration. Every scripture would indicate that Paul had in mind not just the Old Testament, excuse me, but the New Testament as well. Um, In fact, if you go if you were able to go to the original language and read, you would find in verse 15 a different word is used to translate the word scripture. Okay, When Paul told Timothy, you've known the scriptures which is able to make you wise unto salvation. You've known them since you were a young boy. The scriptures there is a different word. And you know why? Because he's referring to the Old Testament. Okay? You have known the Old Testament. You've known the Jewish scriptures. The amazing thing he says about that is those scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. Okay? And we're talking about the very same salvation that you and I 
know and understand in our lives today. The salvation from hell uh, by Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his return to glory. That salvation, Timothy knew from the Old Testament scriptures. That's the word that's used there in verse 15. When we get to verse 16... Paul wants us to know that he's not just talking about the Jewish scriptures or the Old Testament. He he wants us to understand that those scriptures that are currently being written by holy men of God, that are being divinely inspired, they also are included in the scriptures that are profitable for mankind. You and I, as members of the church, those who Paul was writing to young pastor Timothy and the Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Galatians, all those other books that were written, Paul says those scriptures are just as divinely inspired as were the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. MacArthur explains it this way. He says, all scripture refers to the new as well as the Old Testament as noted above in verse 15. The phrase hieros grammata, which is translated sacred writings, were the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, which Timothy had been taught from childhood. Graphe, when we get to verse 16, on the other hand, was commonly used in the early church, not only the Old Testament, but also God's newly revealed word in what came to be called the New Testament or the Christian scriptures. Okay, that means that what we call the New Testament is as equally inspired, sacred as the Old Testament. Here's something that might help you understand how we should view scriptures, even the New Testament. The Jews, if we look back to the history of the Jewish people, the Jews in the era, in the era before Christ was born and came into the world, they viewed scripture, I can't even explain to you how highly they viewed scripture. Um, Let me read something for you. God's words were given through men superintended by the Holy Spirit so that their writings were without error. That's the way the Jewish people saw the scriptures. He goes on to say, this fact was virtually taken for granted by the Jews. They didn't think twice about it. They didn't question it. They saw it. This is from God. I must use it to order my life by. That's the significance of the scriptures to the Jewish person. Can I challenge you to let the scriptures that we have in our hands today be as significant to you as the Old Testament scriptures were to the Jewish people? They lived life by them. They did life by them. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, you remember what it says um, and I'm, I'm kind of stealing from something that I'm going to tell you a little bit later, but in, in the Old Testament, it told the Jewish parents how to raise their children. Remember how they were to raise their children? Based on the commands of Scripture. So if it was saw, seen as important by the Jewish people for them to do life by, it should be seen by you and I as important to do life by today. I encourage you to adapt that mindset, that same dedication to Scripture that the Jewish people had. That's the reason Scripture should be our focus in 2023. And there's another thing about Scripture that helps us in 2023. It's very resourceful. We see the resourcefulness of Scripture. Paul moves on in the text to what every scripture to talk about what every Scripture is good for. Now, we're going to use some words here that are 
um, straight from the text, and I'm going to explain them to you. If, you. if you're trying to figure out, Pastor, where did you go with your alliteration? Well, it's here, okay? Um, doctrine. Doctrine. What is doctrine? Can I tell you this? Doctrine is simply biblical teaching or instruction. I've shared with you many times that when we lived in South Africa, I used to teach Bible in a public school. Okay? Uh, I used to teach at Tableview High School. And in our year-end meeting one year, somebody said, there's too much doctrine going on in our Bible ed classes. And he was talking about me. And I thought for a moment, and I said to myself, wait, Bible education classes. What are we supposed to do in Bible education classes? We're supposed to teach Bible, right? Bible education, you should be teaching the Bible if that's what you're going to call it. And so I I, I talked to the chairman afterwards, and I said, listen, I said, if you don't want me to teach Bible ed, I don't have to teach Bible ed. I have lots of other things I can do uh, on three days a week. I don't have to to teach Bible ed. But if you want me to teach Bible ed, then I'm going to teach doctrine, teach, I'm going to teach the Bible. That's simply what doctrine means. Don't be offended by the word doctrine. Don't think of it as a, oh, there he goes again talking about doctrine. Doctrine simply means teaching. At the end of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, you remember what Jesus said? He said, go ye into all the world and make disciples. Do what? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. If we're going to make disciples, we have to teach. Paul tells Timothy that the scriptures are profitable for teaching God's word, God's will, God's desires for you. So what do we teach? We better teach the Bible and nothing else. We teach God's word. Not only is it profitable for doctrine, but it's also profitable for reproof. So you think about that for a moment. What is reproof? Well, reproof is testing or convicting. Testing or convicting. The Bible, God's word, is what the Holy Spirit uses to show us that certain behavior or actions are sinful. They're not consistent with what God wants you to do in your life. If you're wondering if your behavior is sinful, consult the word of God. Ask God to show you this, and the spirit that lives within us will convince us, if you will, whether we're living in sin or whether we're living for the Lord. We need to let the Bible be profitable for reproof, for testing my behavior. How, I, what I did, does it measure up? How does it measure up with the standard of God's righteousness in the pages of Scripture? It's something that I should do or it's something that I shouldn't do. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof and correction. I meant to bring something with me and I forgot it. You know what that word correction is? It's truing. Truing. Some of us like to work and and do construction type work. One of the things that we use in construction is a square. Okay? And what you use a square for is to make sure that you have a 90 degree angle. If you want this piece to be straight, it has to be 90 degrees to this piece, to the base. If it's not square, then guess what? 
It needs to be trued up. It needs to be made straight. It needs to be corrected, if you will. The definition of that word truing, I didn't make it up, I promise. The definition of that word truing is exact or accurate formation in regard to formation, position, or adjustment. In the olden days, and I actually have one in my toolbox, we used to use a plumb line, okay? You would hang a plumb bob from a, a point above, and you would have a, a heavy thing called the bob that hung straight down. In fact, when we put these microphones up, we use something similar to a plumb bob. You would hang it from the ceiling, and, and you would know exactly whether or not they were hanging straight or not. The plumb bob was your measuring device, right, Nick? Nick knows all about that kind of stuff. Um, and so we have this idea of making sure that it's true. If it's not true, what do we have to do? Case in point, the floors downstairs, right, Nick? They were not true. They went like this. And we had to chip them up, and we had to put in more concrete and self-leveling stuff. They're a whole lot better than they used to be. But if you go downstairs and you look at the, the north wall, you can see how untrue that wall, that floor is, even after Nick worked really hard to make it better. No, no. No bad news for, for Nick. He did what he could do with the situation he inherited, okay? So what we have is we needed to make it true. We needed to fix it. We need to make it right. In fact, here's another thing. When you go out the doors downstairs, because the door frames are not true, the doors don't shut right. Just a heads up, somewhere down the road, we're going to have to replace those doors, Okay? But, but you got to make sure when you put them in, things are true, things are square, things are right. Because if you don't, you're not going to have anything but problems down the road. In our life, we need to measure our life by the squareness, the trueness, the accuracy of God's word. And as I'm reading God's word on a regular basis, even a daily basis... I need to find out if my life is true, square with God's word. If it's not, then Paul says the word of God is profitable for correction or bringing my life back into the line it should be in according to the pages of scripture. He also says it's good for instruction or can we say training in righteousness. That's what the word instruction is. It's training in righteousness. What is Paul suggesting with this word training? Well, as I hinted at earlier, it goes back to the concept we find in the Old Testament when Moses told the Hebrew parents that what they were to do with their children. Listen to the instruction from God's word through Moses. Moses wrote this back in Deuteronomy. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you shall be on your heart today. Okay, that's how the Israelites are supposed to live their life. Verses 4, 5, and 6. And then in verse 7, he says, You, Israelite moms and dads, you leaders in Israel, you shall teach them 
diligently to your children. There's that word, teach equals train. You're to train them in the things of God, in the fact that the Lord our God is one, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and that we're commanded to obey those. You shall teach that to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. You shall use them as front between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Can I ask you a question based on what Moses told the people of Israel? Is there any time that we should not be teaching and following and living by the word of God? Go like this. No. Whether you're sleeping, whether you're awake, whether you're walking in the house, whether you're walking down the road, whether you're leaving the house, whether you're coming out of the house, no matter what, Put them as a reminder. He wasn't necessarily taken to the degree that the Pharisees did and say, make a little flactory and post it, paste it to your forehead or on your wrist. But hey, how many of you make notes so you, make, so you don't forget what you're supposed to do? I mean, if I'm supposed to take something with me, sometimes I make a, a note and I put it on the door so that as I'm going out the door, I don't forget. We have this thing called Alexa. And we say, Alexa, put milk on the shopping list. Alexa, put whatever on the shopping list. So when I get to the store, I take out my little phone. Somewhere there's a zipper here. I take out my phone, and I open up my Alexa app, and I say, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to get this, this, and this before I go home. That's a good way to stay out of trouble. No, just kidding. Um, (laughs) How many times have you gone to the store and forgot to get what you went to the store for. You get everything else. And when, they, when you get up to the checkout, they say, did you find everything you needed? You think, yeah, I did. And then when you get home and you start unloading the bags, oh, I forgot. I went to get that one particular thing and I forgot it. If we have God's word in our minds, in our hearts, hidden there, we won't forget it. It will be at our disposal. The word of God is the tool we are to use to become more skilled in righteousness. That's what he says. The word of God is profitable for training or instruction in righteousness. If I want to be righteous, what's my tool that I use? If I want to put... I don't know, if I want to change the legs on the side of this pole, I can't do that because it's not screwed in. But anyway, um, if I want to drive a screw into a particular board, what am I going to use? I'm going to go downstairs, I'm going to get my drill, and I'm going to get my impact driver, and I'm first going to drill a hole, and then I'm going to take my impact driver, I'm going to put the screw in it. You know what? I can't tell you how many times. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do. I can't tell you how many times I've tried to cut out drilling the hole. And I get my impact driver, and I put my screw in, and I get halfway or three-quarters of the way into the piece of wood. You know what happens? Split. Don't be stupid. Don't try to shortcut it. Do it the right way. You can't shortcut God's word. You can't say, I'm going to do it the way I feel like doing it, because I don't feel like doing it the other way today. This is what God has given to us to become righteous. If we want to become righteous, we must be in the book. 
We must be reading it. We must be studying it. We must be memorizing it. We must be applying it to our lives. The word of God is the tool we are to use to become more skilled in righteousness. Or in other words, to become more like Jesus. Well, let's close off this morning by thinking about the results of focusing on Scripture the results. When we allow the scriptures to be that tool that God, that brings our focus right, it is then that we become what God wants us to become. And what is it that God wants us to become? Well, he wants us to be entirely complete. He wants you and I to be an entirely complete man or woman of God. It's the word of God that matures the child of God. Psalm 119 is a psalm that is dedicated to the word of God. We studied all the way through Psalm 119. Took us a couple years to get through it, or over a year to get through it. But look at verses 9 through 12 of this amazing psalm, where the psalmist writes this, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How do I, I've messed up, I've sinned, I've dirtied my life with sin. David says, and and he was well aware of how to do it, both sin and get cleansed. He says, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. By taking heed according to the scriptures, to the word of God. With my whole heart, the psalmist says, I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. What is the psalmist praying for here? What is the psalmist asking for here? He wants God to help him make the word of God his focus. Did you catch the things there? It's good for cleansing. It's good for staying on the right path. It's good for lighting our path. It's good for keeping us from sin. And when we hide God's word in our heart, we will be closer to our God. He will help us have that right at our disposal to live a holy life. The idea of being complete means mature, measuring up to the expected standards. How do we become complete? Paul makes it clear, we become complete through the word of God. He also says that the word of God equips the man of God. The result of focusing on scripture helps us become equipped. When I was growing up, I played hockey. I'm not sure how many others here have played hockey in the past, but I can tell you this, I don't think there's another sport that requires more equipment to play than to play hockey. Okay? You have to have a helmet, you have to have elbow pads, you have to have shoulder pads, you have to, in fact, now it's, it's almost like a flak jacket. They, they, they have this thing that protects your, your chest and your sternum, and it also incorporates your elbow pads. It's a lot easier to get dressed playing hockey today than it was when I, I mean, I actually had a garter belt that I used when I played hockey. A garter belt? What in the world do you have a garter belt for, Pastor? Well, it held, it held up your socks, because you, know, you had these wool socks that you wore over your shin pads that protected your kneecap and your shins. And you also had these pants that you wore that had, I think they were well, the turtle shells, I think is what they called them. Okay, and they had this hard plastic right here. Okay, you know what? I can tell you, you want those kind of pants. 
Because when we played in high school, when I, I didn't play on the high school team, but we played against the high school team sometimes, and, and we played without pads. And we were only supposed to use sponge pucks when we played without pads. But this one guy, he was, thought he was brilliant. He's like, I'm going to use the real thing. So he went to take a shot. He winds up, and as he winds up, I know he's going to shoot, so I go to get in the way of the, sh- the shot so it doesn't get in the net. And he had used a real puck, and he, bang, hits that puck. And I'm like this, and the puck hits me in the sh- in right here, right where the pad is supposed to be, but didn't have one. Oh, man, that hurt. Down like, what are you doing, you fool? Why are you using that kind of a puck? You need to have those pads. You know what you need to be? You need to be fully kitted out to play hockey. When we play, when I played in a league, our coach, I was, I was young. I, I had the privilege of being the youngest. So my, my mom was able to buy hockey equipment for my older brother and for me. I played through my stuff. And then I played through my brother's stuff. So I got to play for like six years. He only got to play for three because she didn't buy, buy it the second time around. Okay? But when we got kitted out to play hockey, our coach would check and make sure we had all the equipment that we we're supposed to have, including that one thing that nobody else wants you to know that you're wearing. Okay? He checked for that. There was a way he could do it, but he did. He checked for it. Okay? You had to make sure that you had all of the equipment. If you didn't have all the equipment, you didn't get to go on the ice. While I was playing, they changed some of the equipment. I started playing when you didn't have to wear a face mask. I was playing one time, got out of the, got out of the penalty box in, in peewee hockey, minor hockey. If somebody on your team gets a penalty, somebody else has to serve that penalty if they do a line change. Okay? So I was in the penalty box, penalty expired, I skated out, got right in front of the net where I'm supposed to get because I knew the shot was coming, and some big guy, I won't tell you who we were playing, some big guy knocked me over in front of the net, he's doing his job, right, clearing out the stuff in front of the net, get out of there, you're not supposed to, I was in front, set up for a rebound, he knocked me over, and another big guy fell on my head. Nick's laughing because he's probably been there. So, you know, what you do, right? You, you push up, start to get up off the ice. You know, I'm like this. He falls on my head. Squish! My nose goes smash into the ice. I got up. I skated over to the face-off circle. There's blood running down my face. Referee looks at me. says, Ugh. He walks over. He puts his arm around me, props me up, puts his hand underneath my chin, skates me over to the bench. says, he's not playing anymore. Laid down on the bench for about 10 minutes. My uncle came, and uh, my coach says, you better take him to the hospital. Broken nose. I still, still affects me today. I went to the ear, nose, and throat guy. He says, you like to breathe? I said, yeah, we need to fix your nose, he says, from that hockey accident. There's a reason to wear the equipment. There's a reason to be kitted up. You and I, we are kitted up as Christians through the pages of this book. There's no other way. There's no other way to know what God wants you to do than by reading and following the word of God. The Bible is what you and I use in the Christian life to know what God wants us to do. If we hope to grow up in the things of the Lord, we must use the word of God to become thoroughly equipped. 
Nothing else will do. And can I tell you this? Nothing else is needed other than the word of God. Nothing else can do it and nothing else is required for you to become what God wants you to become. God's given us his word. It's pretty clear. Ephesians 6 speaks of the whole armor of God. And as Paul describes the armor, he ends with, you know what he ends with? Vanya, you can tell us. He ends with the sword of the spirit. And, and you know what he says? So there's no confusion about it. He says, and, and put on the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, this is what God, this is how we finalize the armor that he has given to us to do life and to be saved and to live the way he wants us to live. You put on the word of God. You take the sword and you put it in a sheath and you have it ready to deal with everything that comes your way. As you and I live 2023, it should be our goal to be focused on life, living life the way God would have us live life. The only way to do that is by using the lens of the word of God to direct our focus in our lives. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for your word. Father, it is your word, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father, it's the word of God that brings us to an understanding of our need of salvation. It's the word of God that brings salvation to us. Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That name is the name of Jesus. Over and over and over again, we see in the gospels, we see in the book of Acts, we see in the epistles that the thing that brings new life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, the teachings of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension and return into glory. That's what brings new life. Father, the word of God contains that new life and it also contains everything that we need for life and godliness. You've given it all to us in the pages of scripture and we, we want to thank you for that this morning. We ask that you help us as we embark upon this new year of 2023, that we might live in a way that honors you, that we might allow the word of God to be that which keeps us true, that which helps us know what we should do in all situations, helps us when we understand we're sinning or questioning whether we're sinning or not, the word of God informs us of that sin. Uh, There's so much, Father, in the pages of scripture that give us the way to live life in a way that honors you. Help us to do that in 2023. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.